Fox Spots and Chair Shots. And people, just to start off, if y'all haven't, go subscribe to Fox Spots and Chair Shots on all platforms to make sure we get in here on Fox Spots and Chair Shots. One of the hottest podcasts out here. Definitely from the spotlight. DJ Savage represents the takeover all day. And Fox Spots and Chair Shots, check Hello all my people, and if you're watching live, checking us out on YouTube, or listening on your favorite podcast provider, you are most definitely my people. Welcome to another episode of Botch Bots and Share Shots. We still have high hopes of delivering quality wrestling content, but if not, we'll sprinkle in some hill faces and some hill turns, you know, so we still get over. I'm your host, a chef by trade and a mark by choice. I am the Will Gray, and I'm glad to be here on this journey, and tonight that journey will be the pillars of the WWE Attitude Era. And remember, here Botch Bots and Cheer Shots, we call it in the ring from all the angles. Joining me tonight for this journey for the first time is the host of the Hill and Face podcast. He is Steve Casalanovo. Steve, thanks for coming on Chant Boston Wrestling, brother. How are you? What's good, Will? What is good uh, out there in uh, Twitch land? This is my first actual Twitch broadcast, so to speak. So this is super dope, and I'm so excited. Glad to be here, man. Glad to be here. I'm super hyped that you decided my show is the one to do it on. I mean, it's a... Uh, we, we hope for the best and uh, prepare for the worst here. So uh, I always start every episode. Well, you got one of those two things out of me, so we'll see. We'll see no, how the night goes. No matter what, we're just going to sit and talk about wrestling for an hour and people are going to watch. Um, I start every episode the same way. I always ask the same question. Steve, what has you pissed off for greatness? What in the world of professional wrestling has you the most upset tonight? Well, as uh, most of the people who follow my show, Heel and Face Podcast, at Heel and Face, starting off with the plug, here we go. Um, I am not a fan of AEW anymore. I've given them too many chances, and uh, the last one uh, really pissed me off on Good Friday. Sorry, I just couldn't take it anymore. And uh, But really, um, just the whole um, getting into it with AEW fans and uh, in, in general – the booking is just uh, ridiculous. Uh, people, you know, coming out and, uh, you know, uh, basically having to do homework to watch a uh, major promotion on a major cable network every night. Like, I have to know who trained this guy to do this and where they came from in Japan and who they were a ring boy for and all that stuff. Like, you and I, the je- like, the specific wrestling fans, like, we... Uh, already know who those people are. Like, I know who Kaz uh, Okada is. I know who the Rainmaker is because I've been following New Japan Wrestling for like 10 or plus years now. But do you think the average guy who is putting wrestling on in the background just to wait till like Independence Day or the NBA or whatever starts up knows or even cares who Kaz Okada is? Like, no. Like, no. So that's the biggest beef that I have right now. And, and I hate to like pick on the product when I don't really even watch it anymore, but it just infuriates me. Um, it, you know, they wonder why their ratings keep dropping, but at the same time too, they look at you funny when you don't know who uh, Tanahashi is, right? Let me ask you a question. I'm gonna play devil's advocate here because I usually try to sit on a fence post when it comes to both the big companies because if you know anything about me or follow my show, most of the time I think it's trash for the most part. Um, But my question for you is, do you think the WWE gears more towards the sports entertainment side of the business and AEW gears more towards the pro wrestling side of the business? Or do you think it's flip-flop? Because my thing is, and when we get to the, the meat and potatoes of the conversation with the Attitude Era, I'll use this reference a lot. The Attitude Era was the birth of the sports entertainment era of professional wrestling. There was some sports entertainment sprinkled in prior to the Attitude Era in certain kinds of spectacles and like big things that would happen to bring people out that was entertaining. But I feel like when we got to the Attitude Era, that was when we started to make that shift into sports entertainment. Uh, Do you think one company shifts one way or the other in regards to pro wrestling versus sports entertainment? Oh, most definitely. First of all, you had a spot on take about uh, the shift coming in the uh, Attitude Era, and we will definitely delve into that. Uh, WWE has gone like full bore toward sports entertainment now. Uh, They're the ones with all the uh, 20-minute long promos and the vignettes and good or bad, you know, and I do my fair share of criticizing WWE, by the way, as well. Uh, They are the ones that made that mountain and they want to die on it. And, uh, you know, not to get too sidetracked, but 
Uh, I totally expect within three to five years to uh, NBC Universal to uh, complete the transaction and fully buy WWE as a product. So uh, yes, they are going toward the entertainment more toward, more away from actual pro wrestling. And I will give AEW credit and props. They do try to stay as close to the art of pro wrestling as it is. Uh, my issue in that regard is, is that there's just too many guys who honestly, let's put it frankly, like don't really know what they're doing or haven't had enough seasoning as a pro wrestler to be able to pull that off consistently. So when you have guys like Daniel Bryan, John Moxley, uh, and those guys, uh, Eddie Kingston, uh, Claudio now, those types of guys who are wrestling uh, their butts off, like giving you a classic wrestling performance that you would normally appreciate, then you've got guys who have no business being in the ring, uh, you know, uh, botching every three or four minutes. So it's, it, it, yes, I agree wholeheartedly that AEW is the place where you're going to see more actual pro wrestling, but the problem is you're also more apt to see like a 12 person ladder gimmick match with 20 flips and, and, and unnecessary lucha spots. So. I always try to think of something short, sweet, and to the point for me for what has me pissed off. Tonight, what has me pissed off for greatness are FTR haters. Um, I'm going to go as far off the tangent as I possibly can. Um, I think that FTR, without a doubt, is the best tag team in the world right now. When I listen to people who say they're boring or, you know, like... I just don't get it. They're not boring. You're just desensitized because you're used to super kick parties. Okay? That's why you're that's why you think FTR is boring, is because all you're used to is a bunch of tag teams that break the rules and make these ridiculous spot monkeys and high spots. And when you watch a good, hard hitting, traditional southern wrestling tag team like FTR, you don't sometimes it, I get it, you know, like Words are hard for people to understand sometimes. So, like, if you if you really want to understand FTR, you have to go back. You have to just grow up just a little bit and watch wrestling that happened before super kick parties were a thing. So go back to, like, 1996 and watch some good tag team wrestling. Go back to the NWA wrestling days and watch some of those. Watch some Midnight Express matches. You'll understand why FTR is so good if you'll watch something that came out on television before 1996. Like, watch some old wrestling and you'll understand why FTR is so good. So I, I, that's where I'll leave it for what has me most pissed off for greatness tonight. Yeah, you know what? This is why I'm on the Botch Spots and Share Shots uh, Twitch right now. Because you're just, uh, really, you're just saying uh, what I've been saying too, like um, FTR just are killing it right now and they deserve all the uh, belts and all the, they deserve to be the belt collectors right now. Uh, they are just doing just something different, which is really sad that they're different, that they offer something old school. Not You don't just say you're old school. You actually do the old school moves, holding onto the tag rope, pulling your opponent to your corner, um, the old school moves that, that they pull off that just people, like you said, are desensitized to. It's just, it drives me nuts. And I hate to sound like uh, old man uh, telling people to get off my lawn, but you're right, man. You got to go pack. You, I, the other day. I That's what just, they call me. That's what they say to me all the time. They're like, well, you sound like an old man. Tell them to get off your lawn. Like, no, fuck you. Get off my lawn. Wrestling didn't suck when I was a kid. You know why? Because wrestlers actually wrestled matches in the 1980s. There. Show's over. Roll the credits. What are you, what, let me ask just real quick. What would you rather see? Think about this. What would you, what would you rather see this crazy double team move? Uh, like off the top rope into uh, uh, onto the floor um, into a big giant lucha spot or would you rather see white meat baby face Ricky Morton in a hold in the middle of the ring reaching like grim death for Robert Gibson for the hot tag Amen. what's more exciting as a pro wrestling fan hot tag I, mean, I think when you, when you say things like that you've got 
Well, most of the people who watch my show are going to understand what a hot tag is. I'm sorry. We can't make fun of too much. I, I'm sorry. We can't digress too far. This is an actual show here. Uh, moving right along. The next segment is always news and rumors. I'm going to spit off some stuff at you, and I just want you to give me your initial thoughts when I tell you my headline, okay? First one. Pat McAfee inked a multi-year deal today. What are your thoughts about McAfee staying long-term companies with Connecticut and WWE? I think it's a great move. I think that uh, even Michael Cole today retweeted and tweeted out himself that his career was rejuvenated by uh, by Pat McAfee signing. Great shot in the arm. He's the, he's the voice of the crowd. I completely agree. I think that he did something for Cole. I wasn't a huge Cole guy before. Um... I was always uh, a JR fan. Uh, next one, Ilian Dragunov is forced to relinquish due to injury. Um, couple parts to this. Do you watch NXT at UK at all? Uh, did, did you see the Walter Dragunov 2, which was an absolute banger? And do you think oh, yeah. WWE is facing a, a crisis right now with some of these other companies as well, with a lot of injuries hitting all at once? Um ironically enough or coincidentally enough i guess the last match i saw from uh uk was uh dragon off uh walter uh two and i mean it last it last year it won my match of the year for my podcast hands down um i just learned about uh Ilya having to uh give up the belt um i haven't been paying too much attention to it to know who is in line. I know um, Trent Seven recently turned on Tyler Bate, and it looks like he's going to get his uh, official singles run uh, as a heel, so that might be something to look into. Um, I'm not really versed on it, so maybe you could educate me a little bit on it. Um, as far as the injury bug goes, I mean, you know, part of it is it ain't ballet, and part of it is they go hard for a reason, but I do think part of it is is that they are going a little too hard and you know the wwe gets blamed for their safe style all the time well look who's injured at aew versus look who's injured generally on the wwe roster and you can tell me um who's uh, who's who's taking care of their uh wrestlers more um i think Dragonoff having to relinquish the title is terrible for nxt uk because there's not a whole lot of people over there that are going to be able to step up and go into it I'm not, I don't watch a ton of it. I think that NXT UK should be what black and gold was. That's where they should be doing that style of feel to it. Um, in the chat, a couple of people have chimed in. Uh, Katie Kinsey, baby from the She Elite Showcase says that they do have, uh, they've got a, where, where did it go? Um, everybody's getting injured right now. Um, smacking it raw. Matt Ritter says injuries bug running wild. Uh, is everybody training with Ryback in their time off? That's hilarious. That dude was <laughs> raw in the ring, man. That guy never like in my life. Uh, he's got me blocked and my personal, uh, he's got my personal, the podcast and my Instagram all blocked. Uh, so me and Ryback, no more interaction. Um, he turned down my request for an interview. I couldn't imagine why. Um, That's a shame. So, third headline is the knockouts champ, Jordan Grace. Okay? She says that Benoit couldn't hang. She's like, today in wrestling, Benoit couldn't hang. The exact quote is, I don't think Benoit could 100% hang with the most of the present day wrestlers. Um, I, I ask you this ahead of time because I always ask anytime I bring this guy up. We're going to look at it and remove everything that happened. We're just going to look at his in-ring body of work. Do you think Benoit could hang with the talent today? I tweeted her back somewhat not politely and said, um, I don't think the young talent today, including her boyfriend, husband, whomever, uh, would last three minutes with Chris Benoit. Um, yes, separate all of the ugliness. I mean, I get it. Um, and I know that sometimes that's a default answer for a lot of people. But honestly, like, there are very few people, and I'll give a guy like John Grisham props. I really do enjoy him. But, you know, th these people, these young wrestlers today, I don't think they could hang at all. They were doing, like, Benoit, Guerrero, all those guys were doing, like, 30, 40 straight minutes, go, 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 in Japan in the 90s when the rings didn't move at all, when everything was stiff. Um, so, I mean, you know, they were in Mexico with those terrible rings doing it for 34. So, no, absolutely not. No one in this genera current generation, with a few exceptions, could uh, hang with Chris Benoit in the ring at all. I think Benoit is one of the greatest to ever do it. 
Matt Ritter and I agree in this with what he put in the podcast or in the chat. So I'll repeat it. I get not wanting to honor the memory of Benoit, but that doesn't mean pretending he wasn't as good as he was. And that's how right. I feel about it. Yeah. Um, the last of my headlines, because my show hasn't been on for a week because we took Tuesdays off. Austin Theory won Money in the Bank. Liv Tyler won Money in the Bank and then cashed in. Uh, real quick, just give me your you know, 30 to 60 second synopsis. So what do you think? Who won Money in the Bank and uh, were they the right picks? Uh, I believe Liv was the uh, 100% correct choice to go. I think that uh, because of this, this is actually going to make uh, Ronda Rousey better. Um, we already noticed in her match with Natalia, it went much better. Um, and that natural uh, grappling plus doing a little bit of the wrestling for uh, uh, Ronda is going to work. I think it came in. Uh, Ronda didn't look weak at all. She sold the knee. She actually sold, for those of you who criticize her on her selling, she actually sold. And Liv Morgan, who deserves it, got the belt. And I think she's going to be a great champion, despite bu what bu uh, Bubba Ray might think. Now, as far as Austin uh, theory, I mean, it is, I hate to say it is what it is because it's an overused phrase, but I mean, um, he's the guy, he's earmarked to be the future champion. In 20, 30 years, we're going to have the same, uh, uh, you know, uh, same celebration that we just had with John Cena last week. So, I mean, um, it's okay. It's fine. It's not going to kill anything about anybody. Um, you're just trying to elevate theory and theory is a good guy to try to elevate. Guess I'm going to use the Zoom recording when I make this episode tomorrow because I've been muted. Um, what I was saying was the uh, live uh, in the moment deserved it. I think that I was going to repeat myself now. I'll, mar I'll edit all that out. Yeah. Jesus. First day on the job, ladies and gentlemen. Um, <laughs> I, I think that her cashing in and winning it is great. I said she was the reason why and the quintessential example of why the women's need a mid-card title. I wasn't sure if she was quite ready for the big push, but we'll see where her title goes. This is the perfect example um, with what's going on in uh, the women's division where you have that risk of being lost in the shuffle. Uh, so I think she was the right pick. Austin Theory, however, I feel like was the it was almost telegraphed. When they came out and announced that he was coming out, I was like, okay, he's going to win the match. Yeah. You know, up to that point, okay, Rollins might have a shot. Hell, you thought even for some reason crazy-ass Sami Zayn might get a push here for some reason. But right. you you didn't see Theory getting added last minute, adding an eighth man for no reason to what was already an over-busy, hat-on-a-hat kind of match with the stuff they were pulling off. Wasn't a bad match. I'm not saying it was a bad match. Uh, right. But... I think that there were other options besides throwing Theory in. If Theory turns out to be the one that dethrones Roman Reigns, I'll shave my beard on on air. I will say it right now. If Theory cashes in on Roman Reigns and wins and wins the undisputed titles at 24 years old, I will shave my beard live on botch bots and chair shots. We got to promote that absolutely. Ooh, I can't believe I just, that's a that's a ballsy statement, dude. Um, uh, well, uh, just real quick, one of the uh, local uh, Cleveland guys about uh, three years ago when the Browns drafted Baker Mayfield said if the Browns drafted Baker Mayfield, he'd eat horse crap. So speaking of Baker Mayfield just being in the news for being traded, uh, the guy, the local, you know, wacky morning talk, sports talk DJ, um, he had to end up eating horse poop on the air. So <laughs> at least it's not horse poop. At least he'll be shaving your beard. You can grow it back. You can't get the taste of horse poop out of your mouth. Bobby texted me and told me I didn't have any sound, too. You guys got my back. I appreciate that for the heads nice. up. Okay, Steve, this is the, the my favorite part of the episode. We get to the core of the conversation. I said, pick the right. four pillars of the Attitude Era. I gave you a little bit of like stipulation there. I told you I wanted you to pick two male wrestlers, one female wrestler, and one tag team. Okay, so all we're going to do is trade our list. We're going to go back and forth between us as we nail these four out. Uh, I'm going to give you the visitor's advantage since uh, you're on the show for the first time. You go first. Give me your first name off your one. It doesn't matter who it is. Pick your order. Go ahead. Okay. Well, um, I'm going to start off with low-hanging fruit. And I'm just going to say the two most quintessential wrestlers of the Attitude Era were Stone Cold and The Rock. And this was a really hard decision for me because personally, Mick Foley is one of my favorite wrestlers, top 10. But let me tell you... Um, 
uh, I went from in 1992, 93, being embarrassed to say that I was still watching wrestling uh, when I first came to college to we were literally fighting over the TV on Monday nights. And uh, it became so cool. Everybody was so into wrestling. Um, by the time I, you know, 86, or no, I'm sorry, it's 96, 97 rolled around. And the two guys was on everybody's lips. Every Around campus, you saw Austin 316 t-shirts. You didn't even, people who weren't even necessarily wrestling fans were rocking the Austin 316 shirts just because they just wanted to wear something cool, right? And as far as the rock goes, I mean, you know, he just kind of found his groove, took off, ran with it, uh, became super cool. Everybody was uh, blasting, uh, if you smell what the rock, you know, um, it would, you know, every other uh, corner around campus was always know your role, shut your mouth. It doesn't matter what you think. So, I mean, it was all over the place. So those are my two. I know it's low hanging fruit, but I'm going with the big two Stone Cold Steve Austin and the rock. I also have Stone Cold Steve Austin on my list. So I'll go ahead and scratch him off there as well. Um, I, I understand why The Rock is there, and you're right. This was a hard list to make to, to specifically go down to only two male superstars. Um, the reason why I picked Stone Cold Steve Austin over The Rock isn't for necessarily any other reason than I feel like The Rock became bigger than wrestling. Does that mean that he's any less important? No, but I feel like inside of wrestling, Stone Cold Steve Austin did more in the shorter amount of time than what Rock did in the length of his career because The Rock went off and went into other ventures. I'm not taking anything away from what The Rock has done outside of wrestling, but what I will say is everything he's done outside of wrestling hurt what could have been happening in ring. Had he stayed in the business longer and continued to win titles and continued to to be Dwayne the Rock Johnson, then I think he could have he could absolutely be one of the greatest of all time. But because he left so soon, he falls short. So that's why I left the Rock off my mm. list. Okay. Stone Cold Steve Austin, without a doubt. And I'm not saying the Rock isn't one of the absolute greatest to ever do it. I'm not saying that at all. When he was a professional wrestler, he was one of the greatest to do it. He also became bigger than the sport, so he moved on and did all kinds of other things. So that's why I, t I didn't put The Rock on my list. Stone Cold is on my list because when he left WCW as stunning Steve Austin, went to ECW, and then came over as the ringmaster, and then won the, uh, the King of the Ring, then the Royal Rumble, and Stone Cold Steve Austin was born from roughly 1996 through 2002, there was nobody bigger than Stone Cold Steve Austin. There were too many polarizing moments. Like, uh, like there was there was no question about it. Like every polarizing moment in professional wrestling had Stone Cold Steve Austin's name attached to it. Yeah. So I'm going to take the first one off of my list, and it's The Undertaker. And I have him. At, he was the first male that I wrote down. Um, the reason why he made my list was simple because when you look at Taker's legacy from where he was, if you made a pillars of WWE throughout his career, if you go back to the gold, like the early 90s, the end of the golden era before the PG era, and you look at him in the early 90s, he was easily one of the best rookies in the business to do it. He could have been, he could have been equal to what people talk about how they were talking about MJF now that was Taker when he debuted you know what I mean yeah. when Mark yeah. Calloway came onto the scene he was the one of the biggest guys to come out the Undertaker gimmick lived for 30 years so if you look at who Taker was throughout every single one of the eras there's an argument to be made that Taker could be a pillar from every era all the way through ruthless aggression because of how how polarizing he was as a character for so long. But specifically yeah. here, when you look at the work with the Ministry of Darkness and you look at the heel and face turns he has, like it's the like it's it's hard to say the Undertaker isn't one of those people because of who he was during that time. Um, looking at the chat, Matt Ritter says Taker has to be on the list. Uh, some of the other lists that were thrown out, Austin Taker, Trish Stratus, New Age Outlaws, Bobby says Brett and Mankind, uh, The Cat, and Headbangers. Bobby wants the Headbangers as the pillar in WWE. Um, so give me God some... bless those guys. I like the God Headbangers. I'm not saying anything against them. Those are smoke. But see, here's the thing. Bobby's biased as hell because the Headbangers, because I'm a super nerd, are Smoky Routon wrestling guys. And Bobby 
that was his thing, East Tennessee, like something about hill people and banjos. Uh, I'm not real sure. So, Steve, uh, who's next on your list, Bubba? Let's roll. So let's go uh, with uh, the uh, female, and um, I'm going to probably die on this mountain, and I'm going to go with Lita, and for here's wow. why. This okay. Kind of the reason why um, uh, that I was going to put Steve Austin and probably even Mankind on there was uh, Lita was kind of the unsung hero of the Attitude Era in the sense that she was the only female talent at that time that was 100% like classically wrestling trained. I mean, Miss Jackie was there, of course. Um, you know, a lot of other women who hadn't really broken out and kind of did it. Molly Holly was there. That was when she first came in and all that. But Lita was actually killing the business. I mean, she was really, I mean, killing the business like that. She was actually killing it in the business. She was actually dedicated to the craft she was doing it in mexico she was doing it all over los angeles and everywhere else that she could go uh to to get trained and she actually um didn't go with the uh diva uh style of wrestling right uh not to say she's not smoking hot not to say that you know she doesn't have the look but i mean she was the one doing the moonsaults she was the one actually putting matches together she was the one actually doing it in the ring um yeah she had some hiccups with her injuries and whatnot but I feel like the one woman that brought the real attitude to the attitude era was Lita. Um, Lita's not a bad pick. She's not the one I picked. Um, mm -hmm. I think Lita represented a very youthful grunge approach to women's wrestling in the attitude era. I think when you look at some of the other women on some of the lists and you look at the gimmicks and the bras and panties matches and stuff like yeah. that, that wasn't really Lita's game. Uh, Lita wanted to be a wrestler and she was trying to be a professional wrestler when the entertainment side of sports entertainment didn't want women to be wrestlers. So I think that's what set Lita apart from everybody else. That's also who set apart what, who I put on my list but first, in regards to Lita, Allison says that she was the pillar of the well-tell. Uh, Matt says that she was definitely a pillar of his puberty. Um, so the chat is loving the Lita talk. Uh -huh. uh, Katie Kinsey says that it's Austin, Taker, China, and DX. If that counts, I'll let DX in as a, a tag team. I'm going to assume Hunter and Sean. Matt also says that he uh, Undertaker was the pillar of WWE with Sting in WCW during the Monday Night Wars. So it was back in like those two guys, two of the biggest guys in the industry yeah. all at the same time, side by side. The women off of my list that I put that I said was the pillar of WWE during the Attitude Era was China. The reason why I said it was China was because one, she was a women's champion. Two, she was also an intercontinental champion. And that's important because when you look at what she did, she dominated a women's division so much that they had to stop booking her against women and start booking her against men in a company yeah. that historically hates uh, intergender wrestling. You know what I mean? She beat Jeff Jarrett, who is arguably one of the best wrestlers from the South to ever do it. She beat him for the Intercontinental title. So I feel like it's hard-pressed for me to say that you couldn't put China somewhere on your list. She's another one of those people that have a wishy-washy background with after she left the business and uh, something about a trip to China with Sean Waltman. Um, but my point is, is like China as a whole was a fantastic worker in the ring. She wasn't just a great women's wrestler. She was a great wrestler in general, yeah. which I think is uh, important to remember. Uh, when Russo was on the show, he talked about it. He said that when you got to know her as a person, she was one of the greatest people you could meet. So I feel like she gets a bad rap because of what happened after her career. But it's hard to say that she wasn't one of the most, if not the most important woman in WWE during the Attitude Era. Lita uh, said uh, on uh, the Broken Skull podcast that um, one of her favorite matches of all time to wrestle was against China. So, I mean, that just totally makes sense. Um, the chat is chiming in. China was the first woman in the Men's Royal Rumble. Allison says she deserves a spot in the Hall of Fame. And they're recapping Allison coming on the show in a bikini if Theory cashes in Money in the Bank at SummerSlam. Um, all right. It is to you, sir. Another pick off your list. All right. So, um, the tag team that you asked me about. Um, 
this was uh, kind of tough too. Some great teams like uh, APA, the Brutes, Lash, uh, you know, the Hardys, the uh, Edge of Christian, all that stuff. But I'm going with the outsiders, the guys that weren't necessarily part of WWE, the guys that had to forge their own path to get to WWE. And that is Devon get the tables the dudley boys i think they are quintessentially the attitude era uh tag team for me uh they were a straight tag team uh you they didn't have individual runs you didn't see them as individuals you saw them as two tag team members you saw them as brothers going to war the dudley boys are without a doubt 100 percent 100 percent one of the most dominant tag teams to ever do it yeah. I think that they're one of those people that transcend a brand at this point because they were so good in ECW, then they were so good in WWE, then they were so good in TNA. They were so good everywhere they went. And if you look at Matt and Jeff now versus where Devon and Bubba Ray were when they stopped wrestling, Devon and Bubba Ray knew when it was time. They knew yeah. when to pull it off because I feel like right now, one of the things that Jeff Hardy is doing more than not aside from everything in his personal life, he's hurting his legacy and the fact that he's going out there now and he's putting on questionable matches. When you get to the point, you can't put out high quality matches anymore. Start toning it back, work into a tag team role or something. So that way you can preserve it, you know, let somebody go yeah. in and work for you so you can go into the ring Play your hits, do your five moves, and get out safely. There's no reason for Jeff in his late 40s to be doing swantons off of ladders onto stairs against Darby Allen, taking, you know, coffin drops through chairs. There's no point for Jeff to be taking those unnecessary bumps this late in his career. And the fact that Devon and Bubba Ray stopped when they did gave them that legacy because all we remember are the great things they did. None of the bullshit towards the end of their careers, like what we're seeing right now with somebody like Jeff Hardy. Right. Um, it's just never a good look when an athlete, you know, I get it. And athletes, uh, they're the hardest to let go of that fame. Uh, but I mean, you just got to be realistic and look in the mirror and say, if you can't really do it anymore and the Hardys can't really do it anymore. So it's, it is sad and it is tarnishing their legacy. And I really wish an adult back in, in the room in AEW would sit Jeff down and say, look, you just can't go. But um, looking at the chat, uh, Matt says, I'm reading, I should read out loud, but I, my brain was paused for a second. <laughs> uh, Matt says he views the Dudleys, the Hardys and Edge Christian as a kind of an in-between attitude era, but not quite ruthless aggression, kind of an in-betweeners thing. I guess I should have been more specific when I said attitude era, because when I think attitude era, I think like late to late 96 to mid 97, um, a lot of people say the turn at the Montreal screw job was the beginning of the attitude era, so to speak. So sometime in that 96 to 97 range up until Cena's slap on angle in 02. You know what I mean? So roughly I mean, that, but Austin, six years, but Austin continued to wrestle past that too. But when do you really think the ruthless aggression era started then? The ruthless aggression era. I was, well, cause I was just going to say, I really think the attitude era started with Austin 316 at King of the ring. Do you but, think it was um, that late? Um, I think I, I I don't know. I think it just I think it just kind of um, picked up like like then. I just think that's when people really knew and it cl and it clicked for a lot of people. The mainstream audience. We're talking about the boom, the yeah. mainstream where people were just like, "Holy crap!" Did he just say that? Um, and then at the uh, when the ruthless aggression era started, um, yeah, the the early the early two uh, thousands were kind of rough kind of rough there was that slide down and then uh i guess they just you know flipped the switch started bringing everybody up started bringing brock lesnar start you know and of course john cena with the famous ruthless aggression quote and i think that because vince loves doing things that put your mind on it and he wants you to have ruthless aggression in mind so to have a young gun like john cena come out and say the actual phrase ruthless aggression boom i think that's when it kind of officially started that's what i said too i kind of thought that area around that 2002 range the beginning of the attitude area i guess is the the argument here but i don't think either one of us have really picked people that were 
because Undertaker, Stone Cold, Rock, all were before and after O2 for the most part. The Dudley Boys were as well. Um, so I think that them, I think their presence before the Attitude Era, during the Attitude, and after Attitude Era makes them makes them quality picks. So uh, yeah. I, I think that's okay looking at that one. Um, I think for my tag team, I picked Edge and Christian for a couple reasons. Um, I feel like Edge and Christian, in my opinion, they were the bridge between like that comedy shtick mixed with a serious act, mixed with good work in the rain, mixed with like the the indie mud show stuff that people wanted to see with the chairs and the the big spots and all of that. Edge and Christian kind of encompassed all of that in a way that I feel like the Hardy Boys didn't necessarily do. And the Dudley Boys, they did comedy, but in their own way. So I feel like the Dudley Boys and Edge and Christian are the two picks there over the Hardy Boys for that reason. Because the Hardy Boys were fantastic workers in the ring during that period of wrestling. But I think they weren't the better talkers between the three tag teams. I don't think they were the better like in-ring workers between those three tag teams either. So Dudley's and Edge and Christian for sure are the two picks. And Edge and Christian, I think, Edge the the Dudley's for the same, for the only the sheer fact that I felt like they were truly five-tool players, whereas the Dudley boys were, they were, you know, four and a half. You know what I mean? Like, And it's the very small, minute things that I feel like Edge and Christian did that the Dudley's didn't. When I say that, it's like, the Edge and Christian could do the comedy stupid sticks with like the glasses and all the fun. And then they could flip that script and almost feel like they were going back to the brood. You know what I mean? Like yeah. they were able to transition back and forth. Um, so is that, that was the last on your list. Did you, cause you said stone cold rock Lita and Dudley's right. Yeah. And I mm-hmm. had undertaker stone cold China and Edge and Christian. So as we move away from our list, what are some of your biggest memories of the attitude era as a fan looking back at it now, 20 years later? Oh man. Um, the first thing that comes to mind is the, uh, the, the toy gun bang and Vince wetting his pants. That's the first thing that comes to my mind. And yeah, most of it, is going to be centered around the uh, evil Vince McMahon versus anti-authority Stone Cold uh, that really never died uh, as proof with last year's WrestleMania. But, uh, you know, just because it captured everything, you know, that that whole angle, the whole attitude era, everything was perfect for uh, the alternative movement that happened in the 90s, you know, with alternative music with Nirvana, with uh, cops and reality TV getting started, and with the WWE following exactly like as realistically as possible. Say what you want about Vince Russo. I know he's been a guest on your show. Um, say what you want about Vince Russo. He really did have a lot of uh, what was going on in the countries socially and culturally. He really did have a good beat on what people were thinking and doing and liking. And uh, he tapped into the fact that not a lot of people were happy at work and not a lot and a lot of people were fans of their bosses. So you get to live vicariously through Stone Cold. And most of that, like I said, was, uh, was the first memories that come to my mind as far as um, the Attitude Era goes. Um, Mr. Sacco in the hospital in the bedpan. Um, uh, Steve Austin dousing everybody with beer. Um, you know, uh, Kurt Angle coming back and dousing everybody with milk. Hilarious. Uh, who can forget the famous uh, Mick Foley off the top of Hell in the Cell? That's an, another iconic moment for me in uh, uh, in WWE. It was me, Austin. It was me all along. Um, just all of the whole real life stuff playing out. And that's just the big stuff. Those are just the major angles with the major wrestlers, right? Mick Foley uh, winning the belt. Uh, oh, yeah, that'll put butts in seats. Well, the second that Tony Schiavone said that, I flipped right over to Raw. Me and, what, 20 other million Americans did at the same time? So, um, yeah, that backfired on Schiavone and Bischoff. So, like, uh, yeah, like, just those are just the big moments. I mean, we can get into the minutia. We can we uh, we can get into the whole Val Venus and choppy, choppy, pee-pee and all that kind of stuff. But I like to just do the big moments and... And the big moments for me uh, were parts of the major angle with the guys that you mentioned earlier. I really appreciated things in the Attitude Era most were uh, you saw guys like Mick Foley work. And yeah. I feel like 
we saw the end of the territory wrestling era kind of phase out after the end of the Attitude Era. When you see people like your Terry Funks and your Ric Flairs and your Mick Foley's and your Stings and your Hulk Hogan's and you see this list of guys that came up through the NWA and the AWA and you know Jim Crockett Promotions and Georgia Championship Wrestling with Bill Watts. When you see some of these guys come through and then you see them start to age out towards the end of the Attitude Era. It was almost like a coming of age for so many guys. Yeah. Because they came in and hit their stride and their peak in a lot of ways when wrestling was at its biggest. Cactus Jack started in the 80s and he fought tooth and nail through every promotion he could to get thrown off a cage by The Undertaker, to go through an announce table, to go on one of the most historic climbs in wrestling history, to be lifted on DX's shoulder, to be called out on somebody else's show because they finally decided to give Mick Foley the title. These Mm -hmm. kinds of things don't happen at all in wrestling today you know what i mean and it's almost like this the forbidden door is such a stupid way to put it but there's so many things that happened in the 90s in wrestling that i missed that couldn't happen today because of sponsorships and tv deals like there's no fucking way thunder rosa is showing up on wwe tv and dumping the aew title in the trash can you know what i mean like you don't get to see that kind of raw stuff anymore And I feel like during the Attitude Era, we got all that. Another huge part of the Attitude Era was the Monday Night Wars. It would be hard for me not to mention that when we're talking about this era. When you were growing up, did you watch WCW or WWE, either one? Did you have a preference? Uh, Yeah, it was WWE for the most part, I have to admit. And I will admit that it's a lot of emotional connection, you know. Uh, What do you choose? You choose Pepsi or Coke. Mac or PC, Ford or Chevrolet, you know, what are those choices you make? And people kind of get polarized. I kind of was still hanging with WWE for as long as I could, um, mostly because I have emotional connections with my grandma and all that kind of stuff that still kind of kept me with the brand. Uh, But I mean, as soon as, you know, the outsiders started picking up steam and the NWO happened and all that, yeah, we would, we would channel surf. We'd go back and forth. That, that uh, last button kept getting used to death on the remote. And um, there was a point where I was watching a little bit more WCW than, uh, than WWE. So like when I said that, you know, that famous phrase that Tony Schiavone uttered got me right back on WWE again. And I didn't kind of stray. I would only go to WCW during commercials at that point. Um, so, uh, and, and yeah, to get back to your point though, that was also, um, you know, that was so important for, uh, the, the WWE to like, uh, I guess make that shift with the attitude era of kind of, all right, we're moving away from traditional wrestling or wrestling, and we are going to move this thing into an entertainment space, uh, because we are mainstream. We're mainstream now. Everybody knows who Steve Austin is, the rock, Shawn Michaels, the undertaker, uh you know mankind everybody's got the t-shirts everybody's got the headbands everybody's got the lunch boxes the posters and all that so we're gonna move it away and i think that to get back to your point earlier it does uh kind of kill the territories but it also and it also did move wrestling kind of away from just being completely mat based and complete all that and all the entertainment stuff kind of brought uh wwe kind of brought that out and then put that out there uh, before I throw my two cents in, chat, I'll catch the chat up. Uh, Ritter gives us some timelines. 96 to WrestleMania 17 was the, what he says is the Attitude Era. Um, the greatest WrestleMania of all time. WrestleMania 17, hands down, without a doubt. Uh, Matt throws in some shade on Bobby because Bobby likes old dead wrestlers. Uh, there's a lost episode of Bots, Watch, and Share Shots where Will and I did a watch long to TLC2 that will never see the light of day. Wrong. I'm going to put that on this episode when I mix this down, so that'll go on there. Bobby wants to know, Hargan, uh, Hulk Hogan or Bret Hart, Steve? Uh, Bret Hart. Oh. Bret Hart all oh, day. Oh, see? Go yeah. and just, uh, just go ahead and talk. Just tell him why so he can hear it because my <laughs> my co-host, uh, my ex-co-host now, who's in the process of opening his own show and getting everything off, is uh, he is an avid, avid Hulk Hogan fan. So anytime somebody has an opportunity to tell me why Bret Hart is a better wrestler than Hulk Hogan, I always take an opportunity to say, tell me why. Tell me why, Steve. 
Bret Hart's an actual wrestler. He's an actual athlete, and he can actually do the moves, and he makes the uh, the wrestling believable. Old school, yes, of course, growing up in the Stu Hart dungeon, growing up with the famous family. But Bret Hart excelled because he was, on top of being a skilled wrestler with all the tools and tricks of the trade, he was also a low-key great athlete and a great wrestler. And uh, Hulk Hogan just happened to be six foot three and muscle bound. And most of that was uh, chemically induced anyway. Um, I appreciate Hulk Hogan for what he did. Yes, I was young enough for the Hulkamania era. I was there watching every Sunday with grandma, you know, saying my prayers and eating vitamins and all that stuff. I didn't take the vitamins that Hulk Hogan took to take a look at me. But um, I appreciate what he did. But in the end, just more stories come out about a, a piece of trash Hulk Hogan is, to be honest. Uh, he was very limited in the ring anyway. The only time he actually tried to wrestle was either when he was in Japan or the one or two times that he wrestled Ric Flair. Other than that, he's just punch, kick, punch, kick, leg drop of doom, and the stick gets old. But Bret Hart knew how to move in the ring, the psychology, uh, you know, getting his opponent to look super good. Um, you know, go back and watch all the old tapes, even before it became the Hitman per se. Just letting, making all the other wrestlers look fantastic. Um, so yeah, Bret Hart, the quintessential pro wrestler. He's definitely in the top five of all time, and uh, he made it. He made it happen. Whereas Hulk Hogan just kind of Hulk Hogan did. That's all let, I can say. Let me ask you a question, Steve. You've never been on my show before. Who's your favorite wrestler of all time? The Nature Boy, Ric Flair, and I just this is the first thing that comes off comes off the top of my head. Just everything about Ric Flair uh, screams professional wrestling, and he's just doing the greatest to do it. He took it to a whole new level. Um, you've got the Luke Dezes, you've got Harley Races, you've got some of those guys, and of course you got Steve Austin, The Undertaker, uh, as well, um, John Cena, a lot of other people creeping up into that uh, sphere lately. Bret Hart, but Ric Flair just took it to such a new level. He is the Babe Ruth of professional wrestling. I think Ric Flair would be the Ty Cobb of professional wrestling. <laughs> well, okay. Touche. <laughs> <laughs> um, I think Flair is one of the greatest to ever do it. I've always said that he's one of those guys now where it's like I can't support who he is outside of the ring, but I don't want to take away from the fact that he was one of the greatest to ever do it for as long as he did. Um, I don't think he's the greatest to ever do it, though, because the person who I say is the greatest to ever do it came from the Attitude Era, and I intentionally didn't put him on my list because he he is the greatest to ever do it. And that's the heartbreak kid, Shawn Michaels. Um, I think that when you look at what Shawn did from before he put Janetti through the glass all the way up to the end of his career, winning at winning the Elimination Chamber match at SummerSlam, some of the greatest moments of all time throughout wrestling. I think Shawn Michaels, HBK was bigger than Hulkamania. I think HBK squeaked by The Undertaker as being the most wow. like polarizing superstar to ever do it. I think if you didn't have HBK and Mankind, wrestling after 1998 would be totally different. You know what I mean? Had we not seen HBK's return when he came back and Mankind's ascent when he did, I feel like the plane of wrestling would have looked totally different if those two men hadn't been there in that moment at that time. But that's yeah. neither here nor there. Um, uh, Matt says, I would put Bret Hart with Austin at Mania 13 up against any Hogan match ever. Um, I can agree with that 1,000%. I think Hart-Hogan at Mania 3 in the I Quit match that's top 10 matches of all time at, for me personally. So I think that I could probably put that above Hogan matches. Hogan Andre is up there for me, but it's not because of a technical wrestling match, just because of what it was for, um, for that. Uh, Hogan would be Babe Ruth, chemically enhanced and big before actual athletes could compete. <laughs> <laughs> that's a pretty good, good point. one. Good point. Um, Bobby so, says Hart and Austin is less than Hogan Warrior. Wow, that's ballsy. Do you think Hogan Warrior is better than Hart Austin? No, absolutely. I I don't think uh, Hogan uh, Warrior is better than Hart versus Davy Boy at SummerSlam. I mean, 
there's about three or four matches of Bret Hart's that I could put up against Hulk Hogan's. Now, as far as like, like, like sphere and timing and when it was and uh, all that other good stuff, like, yeah, Hogan, Andre is iconic for what it was and for when it was. Um, is Hogan Warrior was iconic for what it was, when it was. It was a time where Vince did completely the opposite thing of what he ever wants to do, which is put two baby faces that are over together. And it somehow worked, despite the glaringly huge egos between the two men. So, but as far as a technical wrestling, as far as whatever, everything that you want in a wrestling match, that's why Bret Hart's better than Hulk Hogan, because he's going to give you that. Um, that match that he had with Davey Boy Smith at, Sum at SummerSlam is probably one of the greatest WWE matches of all time. Um, Hart versus Austin, same thing. And let's you know call it is what it is. Uh, the the match before the Montreal Screw Job, Hart versus HBK, was still uh, way better than any uh, Hulk Hogan match technically that that Hogan's ever wrestled. So. I'm helping you, I guess. <laughs> I'm helping you here. <laughs> <laughs> the the chat's going crazy. They're arguing about which which Hogan matches were actually good matches, and they're not even labeled as good. But it was three matches: Hogan Rock, Hogan Warrior, and Hogan Andre. They were not good matches, but great moments, is what Matt is saying. Yeah. Uh, Bobby's saying great story to the matches. Bobby says Hogan Rock is the greatest WrestleMania match of all time. <gasps> that's hard. To, that's hard to argue. I don't but think if you, so. if you want, but let's 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 play devil's advocate here. Let's let's pull off some of Ho actual Hogan's good matches. Um, let's talk about um, Hogan Flair uh, bash at the beach, um, the one where he actually pulled out a wrestling move that he brought over with him from New Japan, the step over um, toe hold into the armbar or whatever that he put Flair into at Bash at the Beach. Let's talk about that. I actually remarked out loud, "Oh my God." Hulk Hogan knows a wrestling move, right? So we can be <laughs> fair. We can be fair. You know, some of his early matches as Terry Belia in AWA uh, were pretty solid for a, for a big guy. And, you know, you know if you want to do the tape trading era, you want to do the pre-Hulkamania, um, Hulk Hogan era, whatever, or if you want to go to New Japan stuff and see him wrestle there. I mean, his match in the 90s in WCW with New Japan um, as NWO Hogan, uh, was was pretty good and I kind of forget who was so uh, someone out there in the chat uh, refresh my memory but I just know that that was one of Hogan's best matches that I've that I've watched so let's be honest let's call a spade a spade Hogan does have a small handful two or three good matches it's just what we remember him for and what he was about and he being at the right place at the right time uh, his moments his memories kind of outweigh his actual wrestling technical abilities i can i can agree to that for the most part i think hogan was lots of things um he wasn't a good wrestler though and i think if he's going to be the greatest wrestler of all time he should at least be a good wrestler and there was yeah. no point at any company where hogan was the best wrestler in that company he may have been the best talker or he may have been you know the biggest face or the biggest heel but he was never the best worker at any point in his career not even no. close and i feel like if you're going to be the best there ever was you have to at some point in your career have been the best worker and there's never a point where hogan was the best worker in the business um well, working didn't work for him brother no it didn't um another person on my list that i was going to bring up from the attitude era ironically is a good segue for us are the outsiders um the infamous curtain call thing uh, they hugged it out at Madison Square Garden. They blew the lid off the business. Everybody shit themselves collectively because what? Wrestling's fake? Fuck, six years after the steroid trials outed everybody anyways, everybody shits themselves like they didn't realize it was real. Uh, you know, Nash and Hall pack up and they head over to WCW for big guaranteed contracts. What did you think about that kind of an angle when you saw WWE guys go over to WCW for the first time like that? Or the first um, major time. It's not the first time, Bobby, calm down. But the first time it happened that right. big. The, the first time someone as significant as uh, Hall and Nash, some guys who were on top of the WWE. Uh, I uh, initially thought 
well, this is interesting. Let's see where this goes. Um, I had no pretense either. I knew that those guys were going to bolt. You know, it, it was almost the first ever um, really terrible uh, secret in the wrestling business uh, that everybody knew that this was happening and everybody knew who they were. So I don't know if it shocked me so much as like intrigued me. Is it okay? It looks like that uh, WCW and Eric Bischoff are pushing all their chips in and let's go. So I just wanted to see where it evolved to. I wasn't really concerned like, oh my gosh, my world didn't come crashing down because a guy who was on one TV show was on another TV show. I mean, didn't um, like Mark Marrow like less than a year before practically do it without any fanfare he just like showed up and hey here's wildcat mark marrow so it doesn't shock it wasn't shocking to me seeing a guy from one company on another show per se i was more intrigued as to what was going to happen and what happened uh basically changed the entire landscape of professional wrestling so do you think hogan's turn at bash of the beach 96 was the biggest hill turn in wrestling history well, since I've only seen tapes uh, and, and interviews of Ole turning on Dusty in Florida uh, and the old timers, that's what they tell me. Um, yeah, I'll go with that. I'll go with that. Um, I think for a lot of us who were wrestling fans and kind of jaded at the time, uh, we kind of almost expected because there was nowhere else for Hogan to go. And that kind of came true. If you listen to Hogan and other people in interviews say basically the same thing. But I think for the general public, the ones that still clung to um, Mr. America, say your prayers, eat your vitamins, uh, do it the Hogan way, all the little Hulkamaniacs out there uh, to see him turn like that. Lifelong Hogan fans were probably uh, you know, I'm rightfully so upset. And I think that uh, as far as the culture goes, as far as fandom goes, was probably the biggest heel turn in wrestling. I think for me personally as a fan, Hogan was the biggest heel turn. Um, I had other ones on my list as far as what I thought. So it's funny that you brought up Ole Rhodes, uh, Ole turning on Dusty. Because when I think classic heel turns, especially from the territory days, I always go Zabisco turning on San Martino because Zabisco was the pupil. He followed him. He was okay. Bruno's kind of like boy for so long. If Bruno felt like he didn't want to have to bother with it, he would send Larry out to handle it and it would be like this tandem and they were dominant. So when I saw Zabisco turn on uh, Bruno, I was like, I was like, holy crap, like that meant something, the build to that turn and everything that happened. Um, so I was, I think that's funny because I've heard Ole Rhodes as well when Ole Anderson turned on him, but, uh, Zabisco from, uh, San Martino as well as some of those old school hill turns that a lot of these new guys miss out on. Because like I said, watch wrestling before 1996. It was really good. I promise. I promise. It was really there's good. There's no, there's no story. There's no build anymore. I mean, you know, for what it was worth, you could see the tension between Janetti and Michaels, and then um, they, they cooled it for like two weeks, if I remember, and then bam, he goes through the window. So then it meant more. It meant something. Shawn Michaels standing there laughing and, and gawking it, and the camera panning right to Marty Janetti. I mean, it means something. Like, even, and one of the best recent surprising ones was uh, Jericho turning on, uh, you know, Kevin Owens turning on Jericho with the list and all that. He said, why am I on the list? Bam. Because it was kind of building. They cooled it off for two weeks. And then all of a sudden KO waffles them with the list. So, you know, the story does matter in pro wrestling, whether people don't want to admit it or not, the story, the narrative, the vignettes, it all matters in pro wrestling. I have two more things on my list from the attitude era that I want your opinions on before we sign mm -hmm. off. The first one is DX showing up on nitro with the whole military gimmick. Uh, what did you think about when that happened? Because that was one of those knocking on the forbidden door kind of things for DX to show up right. and how Bischoff had to handle it. What was your impression as a fan when you saw that during the attitude era? As a fan, I knew it was kind of working the sense that they're not going to let them in. There wouldn't be any reason to let them in. Um, and I and I know Vince was okay with pushing the envelope. Uh, now, later on, Eric Bischoff claims if he would have known they were out there, he would have let him come in. But that's all hindsight and 50-50. I, I honestly, the only thing uh, that uh, 
that got me out there uh, when they were out there was actually getting to the fans that said that they got uh, free tickets because they couldn't sell enough tickets. I think that's all Vince wanted. That's all he wanted was just to prove that WCW was losing money and they were uh, inferior product. So uh, it was fun. It was exciting. It was hilarious. DX always does vintage classic moments, but I think all Vince wanted to do was just embarrass WCW and, and, uh, and Ted Turner. And that's what he did. He mission accomplished. Uh, I'm going to shout out to the chat one more time before I do my last one and say my two cents, uh, throw in your favorite WWE attitude era moments, uh, for me to shout them out. Once we finish the last one on my list, I think DX showing up at WCW was huge for a couple of reasons. It kind of gave us that, uh, oh man, this is real life. You know what I mean? Like the two companies in the same city, just a few miles apart. Like it kind of gave it that edginess that made it seem real. Uh, so I appreciated that. And I think Hunter and, you know, the New Age Outlaws and X-Pac and China and everything that DX represented at that point in wrestling was what kept WWE alive and helped them come back after losing for 83 weeks. Uh, yeah. So I think stuff like that is part of the reason why. The last part of my list for the Attitude Era is what was kind of the segue into... Uh, the Ruthless Aggression era, and that was the WCW and ECW buyouts when they started phasing in the WCW-ECW invasion. Um, mm -hmm. What do you think that meant for wrestling for that short amount of time before we got TNA, before we got Ring of Honor, before we got MLW, before we got AEW, when WWE was the only source of professional wrestling for a little while? What did you think was going to happen when you found out Vince owned pretty much everybody at that point? Well... Personally, on a on a just a general idea of it level, I'm not really a fan of monopolies anyway, and I've let Vince slide on a lot of that too, just because you know it's hard not being monopoly when you're literally the only thing. So um, you know, uh, not everybody else. You, you don't see like five versions of pro wrestling with people like Vince McMahon running a WWE. You only see one. It's a very niche product. So it, it isn't like there were 20 people running around. It's not like 20 different car companies. It's one pro wrestling company. And that being said, to see a monopoly is not really good for a business. It's not really healthy for an industry or business in, in general, because now it's really top heavy. You've got one mega company and basically you have nothing. You have guys doing stuff in their backyards and you have, you know, uh, VF W halls and bingo halls and, and state fairs and there's nothing in the middle. There's nothing for anybody to where anybody to go. That's coincidentally why you also saw the rise of Ring of Honor. That's why you saw the rise of CZW. That's why you saw the rise of Chikara, um, MLW, and all these other promotions at that time. Because once Vince shut it off and had everybody that he did and got rid of who he didn't want. Uh, and then consolidated the companies. There was a, there was a big glut of talent. There's nowhere else to go, right? So you either go home, lick your wounds, and try to be a weekend warrior at your local uh, indie show, or you look around, see who else is on your talent level, and maybe you go uh, to uh, Philly to go to Ring of Honor. Maybe you go to New York or to Mexico to do a little bit of MLW. Maybe uh, you travel to Chikara. Maybe you go out to PWG in California. So um, I'm not a fan of monopolies at all. I think, uh, but on the good, the good thing about it was is that it did really get rid of a lot of guys that really shouldn't have been there. I mean, no offense to some of those guys, but you know, they they really Vince did what honestly what Tony Khan should do right now and cut a lot of the talent because a lot of those guys weren't ever really going to make it anyway. Um, and they kept the ones that uh, that they knew was going to work. I mean, they kept Booker T. You know, they knew he was going to work. They tried to keep uh, Sting, but, it, you know, the Warner uh, contract got in the way. Um, they got rid of Diamond Dallas Page, but they brought him back. Unfortunately, they did that stupid stalker gimmick, but they brought him back in a real good way, and he's still kind of uh, respected backstage. So um, they kept the guys that they knew that they were going to do something with. And the rest of the guys, they just kind of let go. But again, those guys needed to be let go. I feel like when WCW came into WWE, it was a whole lot of mid-card guys with a few main eventers. I feel like WC, there's a lot of similarities between WCW and AEW. 
further than just Turner Broadcasting. When you yeah. look at how they handle their interpromotional work with New Japan and AAA, uh, WCW back in the day in the, the mid to late 90s did that exact same thing because WWE wouldn't, so Bischoff started working with other companies. They started working with New Japan. They started working with MCLL and AAA. They were working with these other promotions in other places. WCW was legendary in the fact that they brought in all these luchadors from Mexico City and Guadalajara and stuff for working, and Vince wasn't giving any of these guys a chance because all Vince liked at that point were the big guys. You know what I mean? So like WCW was giving a lot of guys chances, does that mean they deserve the brightest stage on the biggest lights with the biggest everything? No, absolutely not. When you get a AW and WWE both have this problem right now is the rosters are getting too big for the short amount of TV time they have. And because yeah. of that, we're sacrificing on stories and we're sacrificing on builds and we're sacrificing on finishes and we're sacrificing on everything that makes us fucking love professional wrestling. And we're not getting any of it now. No. We're just not. So I feel like that's one of the issues with it is because when you get too big and it's oversaturated, it's hard for you to really get anything back from that because there's just so much going on. And I feel like the WCW ECW invasion angle was exactly that. There was just too much going on, too many people in a small room, not enough, uh, too many chefs, not enough cooks, you know, too many chiefs, not enough Indians, whatever old outdated barbaric analogy you want to use for it. That's what was happening in the early 2000s with this invasion angle was I just feel like there was too much going on but you're right they figured they figured it out they picked their winners and they knew who they were going to keep over your Booker T's your Dudley's uh your you know those kinds of guys so I agree there okay Steve this is my absolute favorite part of every show because I finally get to sit here and don't have to say anything all I need from you is to plug your stuff tell everybody where to find you where your links are what you've got going on what you've got coming up uh, plug everything for me. Yeah. So, um, you can find me anywhere. Um, I'm on most of social media. Uh, my main, uh, place to find me is on Facebook at heel and face podcast. You can go anywhere. Just, just type in heel and face podcast anywhere. And I'm there. I'm on Facebook. I'm on Twitter. I'm on uh, minds. I'm on locals. Uh, so I'm uh, the only place honestly where I'm not is Twitch. And I may actually start considering that right now. Um, but I'm, uh, a lot of different places just look up Healing Face podcast, and that's where I am. Plus, I take the audio of my show and I upload it immediately to um, uh, Anchor, and they put it all over the place, Spotify, whatever. So I'm all over, Daddy. I'm nationwide, as they say. Steve, I really appreciate you coming on. What a blast! This was this was a great. I just love being here. Thanks for inviting me. Uh, Y'all are chill. Uh, Will, you're the man, dude. I try real hard to get one person to say that every day. Now let's see if I fuck the ending up. One, two, three. Now as we close another episode of Botch Pause and Chair Shots, I want to take a minute and thank you for listening. I remind you to go wherever you do anything on the internet. Facebook, Instagram, iHeartRadio, Spotify, Google. Literally, you have all the options. Like, follow, subscribe, unsubscribe, then subscribe again. Leave a comment telling me how great I am or how terrible I sound. Either way, it helps my algorithm and it helps find new listeners. If you're feeling really generous and be one of those VIP people, head over to Patreon.com and donate to the Smacked Raw Podcast Network. You get some free swag. We get some fantastic guests. It's a win-win. For Steve and the Hill and Face Podcast, I am your host, The Will Gray. Thanks for stopping by and listening, my people. Botch Spots and Chair Shots. And people, just to start off, if y'all haven't, go subscribe to Botch Spots and Chair Shots on all platforms to make sure we get in here on Botch Spots and Chair Shots, one of the hottest podcasts out here. Definitely from the spotlight. DJ Savage at the Take over all day. Bye, 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 bye,